0: All right, question for you, who, who likes the Beatles? You can raise your hand, wait, okay, young crowd, who knows who the Beatles are? Some of you actually don't know, and then who, who likes the Beatles? Okay, well, uh, as a, I was, it's actually been over a year since I've uh, had the opportunity to preach, because I was away on sabbatical for quite a bit of last year, and uh, as a part of that, that time of uh, being away, we had the opportunity to visit Liverpool, which is where these uh, mop-top guys grew up, where they're from. And so while we were there, we did this uh, like Beatles tour where we got into this London-esque little like, vintage-y black taxi cab thing, and a knowledgeable man with an accent drove us around to various Beatles locations. Uh, we saw the houses where they grew up. And we went to Penny Lane. There's a picture of us standing at Penny Lane. There's the family. We're at Penny Lane. And guess what my son found at Penny Lane? A penny. Next picture. That's a keeper. It was a magical moment for some of us. Um, we, We also went to something that had a sign that said Strawberry Fields. I don't know the significance of any of this because I personally am not super into the Beatles. But someone in our family is. She's having a great time. Uh, And you can go past that one now, it's just distracting. Uh, Blanks are good. I put a lot of blanks in so you stay focused right here. Um, What do you suppose was happening between all of these different stops as we're driving to the next thing? What do you think was happening in the car? Listening to the songs, the relevant songs, why? Because it's through the music that you come to know, love, and appreciate the Beatles as artists. There's an inseparable link between the artists and their music. No one ever says, oh, I love the Beatles. They're my favorite. I, I just love them. But their music, nah. I'm not so much into the music, but they're really great people. Right? That doesn't, that doesn't sit well with us. There's this, the, the logic of that. We have a problem with that logic to try to have one without the other. They're like, oh, it's just these, like, guys with bad haircuts without the music. And then the music without them and, like, all of the drama and, like, John Lennon, and like his Yoko Ono, and I don't know, there's, there's, there's drama with these things, there's documentaries about them, they, they need each other to be significant, and so we have a problem with that logic, the idea that you could like them and not like their music, and yet, it is not all that uncommon for a similar thing to be said about Jesus and the Bible. I love, I like Jesus, I like, I like Jesus, but the Bible, mm, I don't like the Bible so much. Well, there is a problem with that. I'm going to make the argument, and we'll spend the first little bit of time here looking at this, that, that, that Jesus, in the same way, Jesus and the Bible are inseparable, that, that the Bible is Jesus' music. It's his music to us. And that it is, it is impossible to fully, deeply appreciate a real Jesus without having a similar deep appreciation and acceptance of his music, the Bible. Um, and so as we dig into this, I could start with why you don't like the Bible. Maybe you have concerns about its accuracy or its uh, credibility or historicity. We could we could start there, but we're not going to start there because this morning we're looking at we're looking at I love Jesus, but I don't like the Bible, and and so we're going to start with your love of Jesus. That's going to be our given. We're going to start there, uh, and then we'll work out of that the implications because the other issue with saying something like I like Jesus and I don't like the Bible is that's like a massive blanket statement the Bible is infinitely uh, more complex than just this thing that you find in a hotel room placed by the Gideons and that you just either accept or reject if you if you like Jesus there is some things in the Bible that guaranteed if you give it a fair shot you're going to like you have to like so we're going to start there so I have a Bible image that I stole from ministryark.com, and I don't want to assume that everybody has the exact same knowledge of the Bible, but if you see this on the bookshelf, you can see the Bible is made of many books, 66 in all, grouped into the Old Testament and the New Testament, originally written in Greek, Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, uh, about 40 human authors, 35 of which we are pretty confident about who they are, and then maybe another five that we don't know, including um, the, the author of Hebrews, which is the text that we're going to get into uh, this morning in a little bit. And, uh, and, and so this is, the, this, is, this is the Bible as a whole. This is what we, what we have. And as we begin to look at this, the immediate problem that you would have in rejecting all of this is the Gospels. Hit the next one. We're going to just highlight Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This you have to have these. I will argue with you on this. You have to have the Gospels. Why? Because that is where we find all of the historical account of Jesus, all of his life, his work, his miracles, his teachings. Everything that, that, that makes Jesus likable is found in these things. You, you, you must embrace these. If you like all of the implications of, of Jesus, like Christmas and nativity scenes on your mantle with little baby Jesus and, uh, and, and song, Christmas carols with angels harking and heralding. All of these wonderful things that we associate and like with Jesus and about Jesus, we, we, we have all of these things from the Gospels. We need these. And if we have these, we should probably also have the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is really just secretly Luke part two. It's the same author. He's just writing and then he stops and then he starts again and he's like, now the book of Acts. Uh, And so we should probably include that also, in addition, because Jesus continues to show up. Even though Jesus has died, resurrected, and now made appearances and ascended into heaven, he's still active, and we see this in a a few significant ways. Uh, One of the ways is his his continued ministry of reaching his people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, and he hands off this ministry to uh, his disciples, and he gives leadership to Peter. And if you know anything about Peter, immediately you're questioning Jesus's decision. Peter is not a reliable man. He can't even walk on water when Jesus invites him out. He gets scared. Uh, Jesus gets arrested, and he like denies knowing Jesus. It's not, it's not good. Um, so Jesus is like, you'll be in charge, Peter. I'm sure the other disciples are like, really? Anybody but him. He's really impulsive. It's a problem. Uh, and so you see this happening. Jesus is now gone, and they're waiting and kind of like hiding because they're scared that they're going to be crucified next. And so then at, in Acts chapter 2, uh, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit, as promised, the Spirit of Jesus comes and fills the disciples. Now, something about the Spirit of God this, this is the same Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry. We, we think of Jesus as being like, well, of course, Jesus could do miracles, He was God made flesh. But, but we know that Jesus, when he became that little like eight-pound, hairless baby Jesus, that, that, that he was powerless, just like you were powerless when you were a baby. You had the power to scream and go to the bathroom on yourself, and that was it. That's all the powers Jesus had. He wasn't magically diaper-trained at age zero. Like, he was a normal human being. And he had completely given up the divine lifestyle. And so when he entered into ministry, the Holy Spirit comes on him at baptism. And he is then empowered by the Holy Spirit to do all of the things that he did. And then he gives that same spirit to continue the ministry. But now it's not just in one person. It's in all of the followers. It's in the 12, it's in the 150 or so uh, people, whether that's just counting the men, and maybe there were more with women and children, but the Spirit comes on them and things change. Peter goes from being like unreliable coward to bold. He gets out, and I I originally had put all these scriptures in for all this stuff, and it was uh, way too much. So thank me later. We're going to skim over these bits, and then we'll get into the scripture a little heavier after, but he, he steps out. He preaches this bold sermon where he's like, you did this, and you did that, and you killed the Messiah, and you're not supposed to use you statements. They're too aggressive, but Peter is just in their faces, and they should have just climbed up and ripped him apart, but they were, they were convicted, and they repented, and the church went from being like the size of our church to 10,000 people on the first day. You know, administrative nightmare from my perspective. You know, how are you going to onboard all the The engaged class would be like, you know, the entire building would be full. It would be bad. We'd have to simulcast. It's just discouraging. And deacons, had no, deacons hadn't even been invented yet. That had to, they, they had to sweat that out later. Uh, and so things radically changed, and we see a massive change in in his disciples, in his apostles, and particularly in peter and so i think that as peter begins to look and sound more like jesus we begin to extend the same love we have for jesus for peter and perhaps peter's writings because the new testament is written by some of these guys who walked with jesus who are continuing jesus's ministry so let's bring up yes first and second peter wonderful books if you love jesus you will love these books and while we're adding these we should probably add first second and third john in the book Of revelation because these were written by john now we already have the gospel of john beautiful gospel gives us a lot of extra information that the other three don't uh and and so we we want to include all of john's works and not just a little bit here Um, and also because john john was special jesus loved john more than anybody and, you know, you, you shouldn't maybe play favorites, but Jesus did, so there's some precedent, but then being God, he did everything perfectly. So maybe he did it in a special way. It did hurt Peter's feelings, you can see it in scripture, uh, but, but he just, he loved John the most. Uh, and so don't begrudge uh, Jesus, whom you like his best friend's works, that could be awkward. You should also probably include James. Um, James was one of the three. There was the twelve disciples, right? There was many followers, but there were the 12 apostles, and then there were the three that were, like, closest with Jesus, uh, Peter, James, and John, and they got extra special attention, extra teaching. They got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and see Jesus, like, glow. Moses and Elijah show up. Peter's brain explodes, and he starts making forts for them to live in. It's really great. So they had special experiences, Um, so we should probably include all of their works as being just an extension of the ministry, uh, empowered by the Spirit, of Jesus, also James was probably Jesus's half brother. If you're Protestant, if you're Catholic, you can say cousin. We'll let that slide. Um, perpetual virginity of Mary is important to you, whatever. Um, so that gets us some 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 nice chunks, but we're missing a lot of the New Testament, uh, and and that's because a lot of it was written by one particular dude, and we have to go back to Acts to meet him. His name was Saul. Uh, and he was a persecutor of the church and he was really good at it Like he would go and get all the perfect like all the paperwork would be filled out go to the authorities He's like may I bind drag Imprison men and women to take them to jail and or execute them and they're like approved and then he'd take his paperwork and Go and do those things that he got the paperwork to do And uh, so if you think of like if you want to understand From the early christians perspective the way that they perceived saul if if jesus is batman Saul is like the joker, scary, evil, intelligent, scheming, um, bad stuff. And so so, uh, Saul is on his way to execute some of this paperwork he had filed and go get people in Damascus. And Jesus shows up, blinds him, puts him down, headlock, and says, you know, you're going to be on my team now. And he's like, who are you? He's like, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. He blinds him. Long story short, he changes his name to Paul and he sends him, fills him with the same spirit that Peter, James, and John's the other apostles got, same spirit of Jesus, but he sends him to a different group of people, the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. Any Gentiles in the room? Oh, come on, if you're not Jewish, raise your hand. You know, it's like we, 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 Jesus cares about us also. His ministry was very focused to his people. Uh, Peter, James, and John, their ministry was very focused. There were some exceptions with Peter and some, some various things. But generally, Paul was the one that Jesus rose up as a very devout uh, Jew, very intelligent uh, person, and, and to send him and go and reach everybody else. And so we, we want to embrace Paul for that reason. We want to embrace him as Gentiles because he went to bat for us all all of the the system before was like, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to become Jewish, which means you have to be circumcised. So you're like, I would like to join church. And they're like, okay, come into this room. And they get all their knives out. And you're like, what is happening? Right. And then Paul jumps in with his cape. He's like, wait, time, time. Do we really have to do this? Let's just, just hold off for a second. You're like, oh, I'm so glad Paul showed up. (laughs) Then you read Paul and you're like, he says some really politically incorrect things and you're not sure you like Paul anymore, and you're, you're feeling conflicted. So a lot of people struggle uh, with the writings of Paul, and there are literally, there are literally Christians who think that, that, that Paul kind of like showed up later, said, oh, Jesus talked to me, and here I am now, and I'm on team Jesus, and, and then hijacked this whole thing, and he made it something that it wasn't supposed to be. There's, there's groups that teach this because they like Jesus, but they don't like Paul, and they don't like how Paul fleshed things out. So I think it's important, we will look at this verse, I think it's important for us to do. Uh, You can jump ahead, it'll be 2 Peter chapter 3. This is Peter talking about Paul, just so that there's no, like we can look back in history here and see, did they see him as coming in and hijacking this thing or not? Peter writes, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according the wisdom given him, so he's saying beloved, he's not saying sketchy. He's like this is a brother. He's 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 with us, as he does in all of his letters. Paul writes a lot. Okay, he was educated. Peter is a fisherman. He would like hit fish with a rock. That was his job. Um, Paul was learned. Okay, so he wrote more. He was more prolific, um, and also it was harder to understand sometimes what he was thinking about. Peter struggled. Uh, it says, as, all, as he does in all his letters when he speaks, of these, speaks, of, uh, speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. We're with you, Peter. Uh, Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So there were actively, even then, more so today, people who are going to Paul and saying like, yeah, this, yes, this, no, we're going to reinterpret this this way, we're going to just reinvent it for today, we're going to change things. And this was a problem then, it's a problem now, and Peter warns us against this. He says, you therefore, beloved, beloved church, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Know ahead of time, people are going to try and twist Paul. They're just, they're going to, and if you take a knife to the scriptures the way Thomas Jefferson did, he just cut out the parts. I'm making my own Bible. Cuts out the parts he didn't like. When you begin cutting, it's like when you're doing like surgery and you have no idea what you're doing. And you're like, I guess we'll just open you up. And whoa, there's a lot in here. This looks problematic. And this, and I don't really know what I'm doing. And you just you're cutting without any authority. And then you're like, I guess we're done here. You know, when do you start? When do you stop? When you do that, you destroy the thing. You destroy the thing that you're, you're working on and you potentially you risk destroying yourself. And we see this in history. If you do a study of church history, you can watch churches do this. They get to a certain point and they're like, mm, we're starting to feel uncomfortable with these things, so we're just going to remove them. And this happens over years and over generations and eventually you have a church that the lights go out. First spiritually, as the spirit withdraws, the Spirit of Jesus, and then eventually the doors close. And you can see this very clearly in history. You do not begin to take a knife to the Scriptures, and in particular, not to Paul. The other reason that we should include Paul, so we'll go to the next slide, and we're highlighting all of it. The reason we need this, it, more important than, than anything else, Paul defends an anti-religious, pure, free relationship with Jesus. If we didn't have Paul come in and clarify things with the book of Romans, we would all be eating kosher, we would not know the sweet sweet taste of bacon. There would be all kinds of rules about touching things and you can't, you know, you can only have sex on Wednesdays and beer on Fridays and then eventually Fridays would be limited and it would be like sankaset only and then it would be gone. Right? All these rules, purity purity laws, it would be terrible. Instead, because of Paul, we have, praise Jesus, such freedom, such grace. We're not a religion. Boo. The very first sermon series we did, does anyone know, seven years ago? It was a long time ago. Jesus hates religion. We were so inflammatory. There was a news crew there. It was nuts. If you can find that on the internet, it's something. Uh, we, we, we started with a bang. Like, we are not a religious people. We are a people of relationship. If you were in a religion, you got to do all this stuff so that God will love you and maybe forgive you your sins and stuff. And we're like, Paul very clearly flips that on his head over and over and defends it in an intellectual way that there isn't anything for us to do. Jesus has already done it, that God loves us while we are still sinners, while we're still broken. And then he comes in and rescues us and redeems us and Jesus intercedes for us and his blood pays for our sins once for all the work is finished and then it just sits there like a present on the counter. You come down for breakfast, you make some coffee, you're like, oh, a present. That's nice. And you can just take it and open it and receive it. It's It's that easy. You have to... There is some repenting and acknowledgement that goes, it probably has like a card on top be like, do you acknowledge that you need this? You know, like you gotta acknowledge that before you open it, it's void. Uh, but it's a very different thing than what was moving until Paul. So, we're embracing Paul. I know it's hard. Um, okay, we gotta go a little faster here as it's taking longer than I intended. So, you see all that big white area up there? Um, that is the Old Testament. And so, three things about this. One, when Jesus talks about the scriptures, he's talking about Old Testament. New Testament didn't exist yet. They were still, it was still, he was still living it. Um, second thing, Jesus loved the Old Testament. He loved it. He was always quoting from it. If you like Jesus's teachings, he's just, he's, he's quoting the Old Testament and bringing it to life for us. Who knows what Jesus's favorite book was? What's the one he quoted from the most? Let me phrase it. Deuteronomy, not a page-turner, let me tell you. I read it not that long ago. I just finished the Torah and, uh, you know, it's better than Leviticus, but just, right? It's just, it's not. Jesus loved Deuteronomy. Let's highlight Deuteronomy. Jesus' favorite book definitely makes it in. You can hit the, the thing. Unless the next thing is a slide, just go for the next thing. Then I'll know. Yes. Okay, this is the third thing. The third thing is that Jesus says that all of the Old Testament, all of the scriptures are actually just about him. He's on, he, he has a post-resurrection appearance on the road to Emmaus and there's these two guys who are walking there and they're super down followers of Jesus kind of discouraged and Jesus is like what's wrong and they stop and they like do this like literally like hang their head sad moment he's like okay like don't you know what's been going on are you like the only person who hasn't here we thought this Jesus guy was the Messiah then they murdered him now we've lost the body we can't even venerate properly it's been a bad weekend. We don't even know what's going on. And Jesus, who has hidden his presence from them, from, from being recognized, kind of like flips out on them a little bit. Right here, uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 25, he says, Oh, foolish ones, it's always awesome, Jesus, like fools, uh, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, making reference to. Old Testament stuff was it not necessary that that the Christ or the Messiah the one that you were waiting for should suffer these things and enter into his glory and then beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself all the Old Testament there as they're walking sometimes when you're on like a hike you want to pass the time because you've got like a four mile hike or something so you like just strike up a conversation about video games or something stupid. Next thing you know the hike's done. You're gay. Like, yeah, we made it. They're talking as they go along the road and he unpacks the whole Old Testament for them and how it all is about him, about Jesus. And so from this we can probably assume. Now we can probably jump like two slides. Here it is. I obviously did something wrong this morning when I was fixing these, but there, we're just going to we're going to speed things up and just include all of the Old Testament as being the, the, what gives richness and fullness to Jesus' teaching and that it all points to him. And we'll dig into this exact thing as we get into our passage in Hebrews because this is what the author of Hebrews does. And we don't know who the author was. Could have been one of these guys on the road to Emmaus because Jesus taught them how to do this. Possible theory. You can look it up. Uh, but we don't know. Um, okay, what do we have left? Some gaps. Jude. I'm going to let you guys have Jude. Don't worry about it. Let's just X that one out. Don't worry about it. And, uh, but we do need Hebrews. I'm just joking about Jude. You should have that. But I couldn't find a good way to include it in the time we had. So Hebrews, we're going to do Hebrews. We're going to go into part two here. Water break. New question. Who has heard of Moses? Yes. Maybe you've seen one of his many movies pictures. He's so famous. There's all of these ones. That's interesting. Uh, Double pictures. Um, So yes, Moses. Well, if you didn't know, Moses is kind of like the George Washington of the Hebrew people. I have a picture of George Washington. Also doubled. Interesting. It's like he's got a little cloud over his head. He's in a bad mood. If you didn't know, we went, at some point went to his house and saw his teeth. Man, that's why his mouth is closed. He's embarrassed of his teeth. They were made of wood, and he was in constant pain. He always, he's in pain. Um, I realize we're in Canada. I'm almost Canadian now. It's, so I tried to think of a corollary for this, the George Washington corollary, and the closest I could come up with was the Hudson Bay Company. So I thought that, like, Moses is kind of like this stripy blanket that helped found a nation. Double pictures again. So weird. It's more fun this way. All right. Take it away. It's distracting. Um. Yes, so Moses. Moses. Moses was a towering figure for the Hebrew people. Um, and he, we believe, wrote, compiled the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and that this is referred to as the Torah or the Pentateuch or the law. Jesus, uh, a moment ago when he was talking to those guys, he referred to it as Moses and the prophets. This is the, the Old Testament. It's a way of speaking about the Old Testament testament Um, quick catch up on the life of Moses really quick it's broken into three 40 year chunks he lived to be 120 years and it's very neatly segmented into different periods of his life first he's born into Egypt which at the time was like London or New York City like major urban major world cultural center but he wasn't born as an Egyptian he was born as a Hebrew which was like a slave caste under the Egyptian people okay and uh, the The Lord blessed the Hebrew people so that they were, uh, had a really high birth rate, low infant mortality rate, and they just, there was a lot of them. Enough that the Egyptians eventually began to regret the immigration policy of their ancestors, because they're like, we let in these 70, just 70 really fertile people, and now there's like two million of them. We've been oppressing them for a long time. What if they rise up against us? We need to do something. Pharaoh ordered all of the baby boys around this time murdered to 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 put a dent in in this class of people this is an interesting pre-echo so we begin to see um, the relationship between jesus and moses in scripture what happened when jesus was born herod ordered all of the babies of certain age murdered so that he could try and get at this at this king who might usurp him so we see this sort of parallel. But so Moses' mom chooses the lesser of two evils and just makes a little craft boat and launches him into the reeds of the river. Leaves his older sister in charge to watch him. Princess comes to bathe. Princess finds a cute baby. Princess does what she wants. She adopts this baby. So Moses grows up in the palace. Uh, sort of a weird forced adoption thing. Would make a great reality TV show. You take some like kid that's like a pre- from an oppressed culture. Move him into the king's house of oppressors and then raise him for 40 years uh with all of the ensuing drama i wish we had more information on this could be brilliant but he's he's growing up in this but he feels for his people not all of his people were lucky enough to be adopted by a princess like his story was magical their story sucked and so he's, he, you can see that there's an urge in him to do something about this, to aid his people, to rescue his people. And so one day he's going along and he sees a guard beating a Hebrew slave. And so he's like, murders the guard. And then he's like, that might have been impulsive. And so then he flees and he becomes a fugitive for the next 40 years. Palace life, now he's a shepherd with sheep. What is God doing in this guy's life? I mean, he's a very unusual story. It's not a normal trajectory. Uh, the first period of his life, he's learning Egyptian court life. He's gaining access to key people. He's kind of learning how to navigate that world. Then he goes and learns what it's like to herd around a mass of frustrating, stupid individuals for a long time, okay? Both of these would be very key for the last period of his life, which you, is the stuff that you all know and this is what gets made into the movies. No one ever makes movies of the, the shepherding years those are, that was a low point, but we get into like burning bush, go rescue my people, no, do it anyway, you know, and then he goes, and then he's like, plague, 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 and every, all these people die, and then through the Red Sea, crush the army, goes up to Mount Sinai, into the fire, people are like, he's probably dead, let's just make our own God, he comes down, he's like, what have you done, smashes him in anger, has to go back, God's like, let's make new ones, but you're doing it because you busted the other ones, and he get new ones, and you to law, and promised land, they all wuss out if, except for Jacob and Caleb because there's giants there. And then so God curses them, more of them die. And then they have to wander the desert with Moses in charge of these complaining people for the rest of his life and eating magic sky bread. And they get tired of it and they beg for meat. And God's like, oh, I'll give you meat until it's coming out your nose, which is a direct quote from the Bible. And then that, they die from that. You shouldn't have meat come out your nose. You can have milk and other fluids, but meat is a choking hazard. Um, so so many people die the whole thing is just a complete nightmare and uh, finally they die off and then Joshua gets to lead them in because Moses didn't do the greatest job and took credit for something he shouldn't have and there were consequences so that's Moses um, now that we're all on the same page um, he really got the Israel thing going we, we as we're, we're going to get into our passage finally okay bring it up here Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 it was read before I'm going to read it again Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Think of this Jesus, whom you love, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So the author of Hebrews is trying he's like he's writing to people who know love appreciate Moses as their as as this towering figure who who rescued them and really helped to bring them out of uh, a, a bad place. They, this is who they see, and the author is trying to get them to think about Jesus and bring this comparison and begin to draw everything out of Moses's life and how it really is, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus's life and work, but so much better, so much better. Uh, and so as we work through this passage, you'll see that he's comparing these, he's comparing their faithfulness, but then he says Jesus is worth more glory, and he illustrates this In two ways, how Jesus is better than Moses in two ways. First, he talks about uh, the relationship between someone who builds a house and someone who and and the house that they build. So last night uh, we were watching this Netflix show called um, Amazing Interiors or something like that. You guys seen this? It's like the outside of the house looks normal, and then inside it's like cat world. Like this guy in California had 22 cats, and he. He was a contractor so he could build anything and he built tunnels and 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 like ramps and like there were like he said there were like 200 meters of ramps in his house and uh you could see he was just covered in cat hair the camera couldn't hide it it was disgusting and uh but that's how he liked to roll uh and 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 so that one was not so great but then there was this one about these dutch people who like tore out this like two stories of this big building and turned in this cool like retro 70s flat they spent a lot of money on it it looked amazing and they were, and then what they do had a party so they could show off how amazing their new place was and everyone comes in it's pretty amazing this is a pretty glorious house and what happens they receive glory from the thing that they made even though they hired out all the work but they designed it kind of by hiring designers and so they got all the glory for this and, and this, is what, this is what they're saying, is that Moses has some glory. He had some glory in what he did. I mean, nobody had a life like Moses and some of the miracles and things that he did by the power of God, but that Jesus, as the maker of all things, and the maker of Moses, receives more glory. Uh, last week, uh, Dwight talked about Jesus and, and how Jesus, everything is made by Jesus, for Jesus, and even now, the quantum state of our beings is held in existence, by the will, the continued will and thought of Jesus. This is how we exist, so Jesus takes more glory. The other way he compares it is in, in in a household. Now, we don't do this anymore, but back then there was like a household, and everybody had like a little hierarchy inside the household. There'd be the patriarch, and then like the first wife, maybe some other wives, concubines, the children, the illegitimate children, servants, slaves, cattle, sheep, dogs. You know, there was like everybody was on like a a scale. And so the servants, maybe the head servant, Moses is like the head servant. He has a certain amount of importance, but he's still just working there. He's still just the help. Whereas Jesus is the son, the firstborn son, the one who is set to inherit everything. That's the preeminent role. He has the, the heart of the father, the ear of the father in a different way. When, when, when you work somewhere and you have a job, has anybody ever had a job where you literally had a punch card and you had to punch in and punch out? Yeah, some of you older folks, now it's all digital, but you'd punch in and when you punched out, you're like, freedom, I'm out of here. You don't go home thinking about, you know, we really got to work on our marketing. When I worked at Dairy Queen, I was just like making burgers and when I went home, I went home. I wasn't thinking about it anymore and sometimes I'd screw around and like take the burger patties if you if they come through the machine the pre-grill and they'd stack up it'd be all juicy. I discovered if you grabbed them and you flicked all that grease back into the fire, fireball. Amazing. I was 14 okay every 14 year old male is a pyro at some internal level. Not so great when the owner's wife walks in right as the fireball comes out she's like oh does that happen a lot? I'm like "Oh, all the time you know (laughs) hazard pay right here. now my wife and I own a business, and we're not making fireballs. We're like, we've got to think about our marketing, right? Like, you just you, you think about it differently when you're going to own the thing. Jesus owns this thing. It's different than the way Moses had it. Jesus is a, a better Moses for this reason. So um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring this home, and we're going to look at specifically how Jesus and Moses worked out God's calling on their lives, God's mandate for them, because it was very similar Advancing, advancing. Okay, so two questions. How does Moses really point to Jesus? And how is Jesus better than Moses? Uh, Jesus and Moses both were sent to rescue God's people and institute blood payment for sin. Rescue, blood payment. This was essentially their mandate. And so we're going to look at how this worked out for each of them. Um, so when God tries to send Moses... Moses gives, and this is really funny, and I want, I wish we had time to, like, read all of this wonderful stuff, but he gives excuse, 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 and God answers all these excuses. He's like, throw your stick down. It turns into a snake. See, everyone will believe you. It'll be amazing, and he's like, nah, nah, nah. and then finally gets then he's like, please, just please send someone else. That's his, like, final thing. He doesn't even have any excuses. He's like, I just don't want to do it, and, uh, and so God gets a little bit angry, righteous anger, And he's like, fine, Moses, Moses, Aaron can go with you to help you because you're too lame. He will have the priesthood. You just, all of your descendants just got screwed over. It was free bread and meat for the rest of your lives. But no, it's okay. You don't want it. It's fine. Aaron will have it, but you're still going. So you don't even get out of this. Um, Moses was a reluctant person. When the, when the father sent the son to go into the world to redeem and to rescue, he went. Why? Because he loves us. He owns this thing. He wants to rescue us. He did it without a bunch of whining and excuses. Uh, when, when Moses tries to rescue God's people from Egypt, I don't know if like anyone's ever counted. I didn't have time to do it myself. So many people die. Um, that's not good. When you're trying to rescue someone, people shouldn't die. I'm reading this book right now called Never Split the Difference, written by a, um, hostage negotiator, like world, the world's top FBI terrorist situation hostage negotiator. So he writes this book, Never Split the Difference. Great title, if you think about it. Four hostages, you kill two, I'll take two. Split the difference, right? Is that a good way to negotiate hostages? No. Every time someone dies, you've lost. Uh, Moses is trying to rescue these people so many people die first the Egyptians plague 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 I don't know hundreds of thousands of people are being killed by these one of the plagues was just straight up the angel of death coming and killing all the firstborn son so many people die Moses leads the people through the Red Sea Pharaoh changes his mind again sends his army after armies destroyed so many more people die and you think that would stop right now the people of God are safe not from themselves they did that calf thing bunch of them died. Uh, The quail thing, the meat coming out the nose, a bunch of them died. They die over and over again until eventually all of the adults have to die before their children can inherit the promise. So many people died. When Jesus came to rescue us, how many people died? Just one. And he did, it was him. And he didn't even stay dead. He came back. So we're at like zero, right? Plus, he like raised at least three people from the dead. So now we're like negative three deaths. We're like in the, we're in the plus column now. Like how many people did you lose during that hostage negotiation? None, and we raised some people from the dead who had been killed from a prior incident. So we're, we're I mean, superior. Jesus was violently superior in his success rate on this. It took a long time for me to write down how many people died, so I'm, I'm trying to get up to where I left off on this. So when Moses deals with the sins of the people and he institutes blood uh, sacrificial system, he's using like actual lambs, actual goats, rams, sometimes other things, grain that didn't have blood, but some people were too poor to own things with blood. And, and this system was ineffectual, right? They, I mean, they had to keep doing it over and over again, every time, every year, blood, 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 blood. You read the, the you know, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it's just like a complete blood, Blood bath. It just is never-ending. And it was just, it didn't work. It didn't have a long-term effect on their hearts. It didn't have a long-term uh, sufficiency so that they had to continually go back to the altar over and over again to make new blood payment. When Jesus institutes blood payment for sin, he uses his own blood as the perfect lamb of God, and it only needed to be shed once. It was perfect. It was perfect, and it was effectual and he said, it is finished, and you don't have to do anything anymore. You don't have to bring, I mean, we don't, can you imagine if we were still doing that? The theater would not, our contract doesn't explicitly say we can't kill animals in here, but it's implied, okay? (laughs) There's no sluice strain down here, you know, it's just, it would be bad. We'd have to rent, you'd have churches renting out meatpacking plants on the weekend, because they have the facilities to process all of that blood. Um, We don't have to do that. Instead, we have a feast, We get to drink wine or juice, bread or gluten-free cracker, depending on your your needs, and and we get to enjoy and celebrate what Jesus did because the work is finished. We get to enjoy it in that way. I, I like that better. I cannot imagine presiding over a bloodbath like that. I prefer that we do a feast like that. When Moses interceded for the people of God, it was awkward. He had to climb a mountain. It was like, hot up there probably with all of it on fire or going into the tent you had to do all of these things make sacrifice there was always a difficulty of being able to approach God in a certain way and then when he would hang out with God for too long what happened he'd get so shiny his face would be like glowing that he'd come down and people would run from him screaming he's like it's just me Moses they're like we thought you were dead you look like a ghost what's happening and he would tell them and then he'd have to wear like a veil which like bros don't wear veils you know like that's kind of like I don't know i wouldn't want to wear one and but moses had to because his face was so shiny it was like not a great system and again he's going reluctantly he doesn't he doesn't want to be doing this any of it really and you see that attitude come out but jesus is god's son and he's seated at the right hand of the father interceding for us think about it who do you want talking to god on your behalf cranky moses jesus right jesus is superior In his ability to intercede for us and and jesus's work was uh better than moses in that moses didn't really even accomplish anything if you look at the rest of the old testament very little because what happened to the israelite people again and again and again they were conquered they were they were they were taken away again and again and again they would cry out to god he would send someone to rescue them moses all over again they would reinstitute sacrificial system and they would do it for a while, and then they'd get not doing it, and they would worship other gods, and then God would discipline them by having them be taken into captivity again. And this happened over and over again, and it got worse and worse and worse until they were just completely exiled and everything was destroyed. It didn't work. And yet Jesus' Jesus's ministry, Jesus' uh, rescue of us was effectual and has sent a new trajectory through history. Okay, what we've done here as Hebrews has directed us, is just a small little piece of the Old Testament Scriptures and how it's pointing to Jesus. All of Scripture does this. All of it. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. The Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The implication of this is you need the Scriptures. You need the Bible if you're going to have a real Jesus. Yes, yes. You could hollow out a Jesus. You could make your own version of Jesus that doesn't need The Bible but that's not a real Jesus you're not loving Jesus you're loving yourself and you're remaking Jesus in your image rather than allowing a real Jesus to remake you in his image which is ultimately what we want we want more Jesus's less of us right he must increase we must decrease I realize that even you know going through all of this and, and trying to bring some of this to life it's still a challenge some of you in your hearts you may be struggling with this I, I totally empathize with you. Um, Jesus can be, at times, unapproachable. Um, he can be a little bit scary. Because Jesus is dangerous. He is a dangerous being. He's a dangerous man. But he's also good. He is both Lion of Judah and Lamb of God. He's both, he's both consuming fire and gentle whisper. But if you remove that danger, if you take that out of him, Jesus isn't that likable anymore. He's a pushover. Or if you remove the gentleness, he's a tyrant. We need a biblical Jesus to love. And we see this in, in, in movies. Dwight's always talking about the movie Taken. It's like his favorite movie, right? Liam Neeson. I haven't counted how many throat punches there are in that movie, but there are a lot of throat punches. But they're righteous throat punches because he's rescuing his daughter. And, and we like it that Liam Neeson is a dangerous guy, but that he's good imagine if Liam Neeson was like not dangerous in that movie? He'd be like, yeah, and they're like slapping him away. And he's like, we're like, oh, painful. Or if he was just evil and he just like walked down the street just throat punching every man, woman, and child, right? Dangerous and good. Jesus is this perfect balance. Uh, That's what makes him attractive to us. So my challenge to you this morning, lean in. Lean into Jesus. Lean into his Word, his music to us, his his love letter to us. Embrace it. We will all have the opportunity to stand before Jesus someday. Not the Jesus of your mind, real, dangerous, loving, kind, good Jesus. Learn to appreciate his music. Learn to know his word. Uh, That meeting will be a lot less awkward. Embrace the free gift. Embrace the finished work that Jesus has done for us. Uh, We're gonna, this is this stuff stirs our hearts to a response. We hear this and we're like, yes, bacon, no circumcision, Jesus, throat punches. We're excited, right? This is good. So we respond. We respond in a bunch of different ways. We respond in song. Some of us sing more than others. I'm the lesser of the singing. Um, You'll see my mouth moving, but it's not my favorite. But some of you love singing so much that we put you on stage and and have you sing. In fact, you guys can probably come up here anytime you want. Uh, We respond in song. We respond in giving. Uh, we want to give. We want to uh, give to see this movement that Jesus started uh, persist and continue and more churches get to hear about the free gift uh, of Jesus. Um, we celebrate the table communion. Giving and communion, that's for people who have already um, wrestled and are following Jesus. If you still have questions, don't give money. Don't, don't take communion. Just just explore the questions of the gospel and, and Jesus and, and, and leave it there. We pray Jesus gave us access to the Father through his blood so we can talk to God. No killing animals, no vestments, no weird holy of holies, don't touch things and die. Like We have intimate access with God because his spirit dwells inside us and he's right there and he's changing us. And so we pray. And because the spirit's inside us, we believe that the spirit can do anything he wants. Some people are cessationists like Holy Spirit's been put in a box, we'll bring him out again later. No, Good luck trying to control the Holy Spirit. So we believe the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is moving. We believe in miracles, healings, prophecy. If you feel that the Lord is, uh, the Spirit is saying something to you, might be for the church, come see me. I will be down here probably. You can come see me, wrestle through that. Maybe that word's for you. Maybe it's for someone here. Maybe it's for the whole church. We'll figure that out together. I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond. Jesus, we're excited to be here uh, because of your amazing job, so much better than everyone else in the Old Testament, uh, you finished what couldn't be finished by anyone else. You finished the work. And now we get, to, we get to rest in that, we get to proclaim that, we get to enjoy that. Lord, help us to enjoy you this morning. Uh, help us to um, shine your light in this city who is um, trapped between being religious and, and being uh, self-serving and self-worshiping. Um, help us to show that there is a third way, a beautiful way, a hidden way, uh, but there's life there. Uh, Lord, that we ask that you would bring life to this city, that you, would, that you would even the score, that there wouldn't be any lost hostages, that, that you would rescue many from the city and that um, you would help us to be faithful, not like Moses giving excuses or being afraid, but more like Jesus by your spirit, bold like a transformed Peter, uh, fearless and proclaiming the good news, um, even unto death. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.